Um, we are going to welcome Joel up. He's speaking this morning. Why don't you give him a hand? Let's just honor him this morning. He has a powerful word he's going to share. Thanks, Sarah. I got uh, actually one more testimony I just wanted to plug for evangelism. That's great that you guys are doing that in the coming weeks. Um, <clears throat> I One time, I've done street evangelism for years, and um, I believe that you, as believers, we don't have to wait to feel led. He said, go and preach the gospel, so go. Not when you're feeling it, not when the stars align, not when it's your birthday or, oh, actually, God, it is my birthday, so I can't do it because I have plans. All the excuses that we make, just you have to go, right? Because when, wherever you go, the kingdom goes. And we're going to be talking about that in a second here. But um, I've seen crazy stuff over the years, um, and I believe probably three quarters of the reason why is simply because I went, I showed up. And one time um, I was going on a prayer walk and um, our team was kind of organizing, hey, we're doing a prayer walk. And I'm like, you know, I'm one, leading one of the teams and I'm looking at everyone and I'm like, I don't want to do a prayer walk. And I was kind of a little bitter that day. You know, sometimes you have those days you're like, I just, I don't want to do what everyone's doing. I just want to like talk to people. I, I, you know, I'll pray for people, but I want to talk to people. I want to lay hands on people and something's going to happen today. And I'm going to make something happen today because I have the kingdom inside of me. And so I was a little in that mood. And so I, I walk on the street. I'm leading a team of about five other people. And um, I walk into a convenience store and I just look around and um, I wasn't trying to be led. You know, I think we over-spiritualize a lot of things in our walk. I was just looking for a person or a victim, I guess you could say. <laughs> I was looking for a victim. I see the first person, she's behind the till. So I go up to her, I'm like, hey, my name's Joel, what's your name? Da-da-da, right? Not complicated. I was like, do you need prayer for anything? And she's like, I don't know. I'm like, do you, do you need healing for anything? And I was just putting out there. She's like, yeah, actually I need healing for this. And she pulled down her, uh, she had kind of like a turtleneck on type of thing. She pulled it down and there was a tennis ball sized goiter on her neck. Picture like that. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> you never get so excited, right? I'm like, Jesus. I'm like, let's pray for that. So I put my hand on her neck and then my team, they kind of fall in behind me. They put their hands on the neck. And, and so I just start closing my eyes and everyone's closing their eyes. We start praying. Rule number one, don't close your eyes when you're praying for a miracle because you'll miss it. And so I'm like, in the name of Jesus, I command you to shrink. And all of a sudden my hand shrinks into her neck. I'm talking like tennis ball size. And I opened my eyes and it was already done. And she was like freaking out, feeling her neck, trying to feel it. She's like, what just happened? She's like, it's 90% gone in like 30 seconds. And I'm like, let's pray again. So we pray again. We're all like super jacked, right? Because you just see that. But three, half of us had our eyes closed, so we missed it. <laughs> She's just like freaking out. And so we pray again, nothing happens. We pray again, nothing happens. I'm like, God, why is nothing happening? And the Lord speaks to me, says, I want to heal her heart before I heal the rest of her neck. And I open my eyes because when you're praying, you, one thing you'll learn in, in evangelism and really you should learn in everyday life is to always keep one ear open. One ear open to what's going on here, the other ear open to what's going on up there. 
And so I tell her, I'm like, God's telling me that he wants to heal your heart before he heals your neck. And she's like, let's do this. So she gives her life to Jesus. We pray one more time, completely healed, 100%. She starts bawling, like she's a hot mess. Hot and heavy, just done. So she gets up and runs to the back of her store. And I'm like, I thought God just did something great, but she just lost it and ran away. Like, so anyways, she comes back 10 seconds later, dragging her friend. (laughs) Sits her friend in the chair, pray for her. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? She's like, I got back issues. I'm like, no problem. Lay hands, eyes open, boom, healed. She starts bawling, runs to the back of the store. It's called free advertising. Who needs Google AdWords for this, right? She drags her friend now, number three, to the front. Same thing. Back issues, completely healed. Everyone's crying. Everyone's giving their lives to Jesus. And I look around and everyone's been prayed for in the store except for one lady. And this lady was carrying a baby. And I didn't realize this, but for the last 15 minutes, the, the lady was like shopping and she held this baby who was like three weeks old and had chicken pox and was crying nonstop. So I go up to the, the mom. I said, what's going on with you? Do you? Can I pray for you for anything? And she's like, yeah, you can pray for my baby. And I look at the baby and she has chicken pox and she's three weeks old. And I keep my eyes open this time. And I've never seen this before or since this moment, but I lay hands on the baby and I say, in the name of Jesus, I command you to be healed. And she coughed. <coughs> and then she smiled and the chicken pox faded down to nothing completely. The baby's smiling. The mom's bawling now. And she's like, I had to spend hundreds of dollars a month on medication that I couldn't afford. And now I, I can't. And she's just going on. And then she gives her life to Jesus. And all of that happened, four salvations, four miracles in a matter of 20 minutes in a convenience store because we showed up. Okay. Wherever you go, the kingdom goes stop waiting to be led. I I believe in going and then as you're going, being led, okay? Don't sit on your butt watching Netflix, kind of tuned out and then waiting for the feeling because you're probably gonna feel a bowel movement. That's all you're gonna go and do, okay? Amen, so a little plug for, I wanna encourage you guys, get involved and keep getting involved. You will see crazy stuff, amen? Okay, so we're gonna be talking about culture today. Culture, New Testament culture. We all have culture. We live in a Western culture, obviously, but we have subcultures within our culture. And you actually, whether you recognize it or not, you have a family culture that you were raised in. And a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly comes from how you were raised. And you have to recognize your culture because we have this idea that because we were raised a certain way, that it's normal. You know what I mean? Like your experience dictates what is normal. And we often think that we are normal. Did you know that 80, according to statistics, 86% of people consider themselves above average I'll say that again. Half of you missed it. 86% of people consider themselves above average or superior. (laughs) Guys, 
So we, we often think that we are normal and our, everything we experience is normal, but you have a culture that you need to recognize that is unique to you that it had, carries the good stuff as all, also the bad stuff. Okay? In my family, we grew up like, you know, some families, you don't talk about certain things, right? There's like off-limit subjects. For some people, it's like, we don't talk about God. For others, it's like, we don't talk about politics, in my family, we talk about politics and taxes. That's what we do. That's dinner table conversation. Politics and taxes. And I go to Mel's side and it's like all politics, right? So anyways, that's part of our culture, right? But you see, we live in a culture here in Medicine Hat. Medicine Hat has unique culture compared to a lot of Alberta. I don't know if you realize that. Did you know in Canada, whenever they are trying to push political agendas, the testing ground is actually Medicine Hat across Canada. That They find that if they can try something in Medicine Hat and if it flies in Medicine Hat, it will work across Canada. It's a true story because Medicine Hat is actually a gateway to the nation. You feel that? So we have a unique culture here. But the thing is, as a believer, we have a heavenly culture that we are supposed to partake in. Because when you went from death unto life, guys, it wasn't just about saying a prayer, having your fire insurance. You guys get what that means? Your hell insurance. I got my hell card here. Get out of hell free. Okay, it's not just about getting your fire insurance and like feeling kind of good, having a little sprinkle of joy and yeah, I have to go to church and have to sing a song that I don't really believe in and read my Bible. Like all these religious dogma that we try to like brainwash ourselves with of what we have to do or don't have to do. Guys, the, the heavenly culture is way beyond that. What you're talking about, what I just described is a religious culture. Okay? What I'm talking about today is a real heavenly culture. In the New Testament, which we're going to point to in a few minutes, is they caught the heavenly culture of what Jesus was trying to establish for you and me, and they sought to live that out. Do you think it's possible that the reason why we spin our wheels so much and the reason why we get so burned out and frustrated and why we don't have joy and peace, I love that song, hope, 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 why we don't have a lot of hope in our life is because we're trying to replicate a religious culture instead of a heavenly culture? Like honestly, is it possible that we're trying to enter into this performance? Like I have to do this stuff in my own. I'm not talking about what you do on Sunday. I'm saying in your own life. And we're trying to do all these things and we're actually completely missing it. You see the, the apostles, they caught this in the beginning. Acts 4 says this. Um, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart. Everyone say one heart. And one soul. Say one soul. So they are of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say uh, that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace. How many people need great grace in their life? Okay, half of us. Nor was there any one among them who lacked. How many people have a lack in some way or another? Okay. 
For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as everyone had need. Guys, the definition of culture is this. The set of predominating attitudes and behavior that characterize a group or an organization. Okay? It's what governs how we live. And the reason why the early church grabbed a hold of this, and by the way, there has been groups and church movements throughout the centuries that have tried to replicate this, but it's failed. Why? Is because the apostles in the early church were not trying to buy into a system of doing things. They were connected and bought into his heart. And when they grabbed a hold of his heart, no one had to tell them to sell this or to give that or to pray for that person or to do all these things because they were connected to his heart and they freely did these things. Part of our culture that we live in is everything is about me. Me, 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 me. I have my life. Don't talk to me about me. I only want to hear, actually do talk to me about me when I'm doing good, but not when I'm doing bad because you don't know me. So if you can't receive the bad, but you can receive the good, how does that work, right? I, I love, well, I don't love this, but I think it's a little funny in church culture. It's like you, everyone loves the good words and I love the good words, right? I believe a healthy relationship should always have, it should always be balanced of encouraging, but also speaking life where there's challenges, right? But as believers, we so often when we come to church, our relationship with church is we want to hear the good. Tell me the good. But then somebody presses your buttons a little bit and all of a sudden, yep, I'm out. Peace. There's the door. Guys, I see it all the time. Like Justin spoke, I'm just going to call for what it is. Justin spoke an amazing word a couple weeks ago. I think like five or six people left mid-service. Actually, guys, I won't get into that, but <laughs> but guys, this is normal church culture because, oh, I don't agree with that. Well, guess what? My dad, he used to be a pastor. He told me this. He said, Joel, if you can agree with like 90 some percent of what somebody's saying, that's awesome. But I'd want to challenge you that what if the other 10% is you are actually wrong? I'm never wrong. Well, we, we do that to ourselves, right? Like how many times have you heard a message and somebody says something, you're like, no, that's not right. Be why? Because it's clashing with your religious box of how you view God, right? How many times have you, has God spoken to you before and out of the, like I'm saying in your quiet time, out of nowhere, God speaks to you and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh my goodness, I never knew that before. I was wrong. How many times? All the time. And it should happen all the time. So were you right before? No, you were wrong. You, say, everyone repeat after me. I, I was, was wrong. wrong. <laughs> it's not so hard, right? But it's part of humility, right? Is actually... Uh, like when you're sitting under a teaching or when you're sitting in the presence of God is just laying it out there. God, teach me today. 
Because if God can speak through the mouth of a donkey, God can speak through anything. And actually welcoming, I welcome the challenging words because it's often the challenging things that rub you the wrong way are actually the thing that God is trying to teach you in that season. But you're running away from it. Peace out, Jonah. Lindy got it. <laughs> Jonah was in the belly of a... Okay, you guys, okay. <laughs> I keep going. So we want to... We actually crave community, guys. Our heart, we were made for it. And whether you are an extrovert... How many extroverts are in the room? <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Introverts. <laughs> Okay, so whether, whether you are an extrovert or an introvert, you were made for community. Even introverts, you maybe don't need it all the time. You get your fill with, you know, doing stuff. But I guarantee introverts, you lock yourself in your house for a month, you will crave people. Okay? One way or another, you can't get away from the fact that you were made for community. So it's important that you connect yourself with community. And guys, part of doing that and experiencing a healthy culture is you have to get connected. Everyone say connected. Everyone say, I have to get connected. Now say this, I want to get connected. Say, Joel, give me that sign-up sheet. Just kidding. No, but part of being a part of your fam a family, guys, is actually participating. And I'm not saying you have to do this or do that. I, forget that for a second. But a healthy family has participation because when you have participation, you have engagement. How many families have you seen, and maybe this describes your family, where it's like everyone, as soon as they come home at the end of the day, everyone does their own thing. Everyone's disconnected and maybe, maybe they connect over, over a meal, but no one's really talking. They're all kind of texting at the table and then everyone goes away. There's no participation and engagement, right? So when you participate and you engage, your heart starts getting connected to the family. And then what happens is relationship develops, engagement develops, the conversation develops, right? We start, I believe in chores for kids, I don't believe in allowance. Joel. I don't. That's a socialist thing. I don't believe in it. I'm just going to call for what it is. No, I believe you have to work for your money. The Bible says if you don't work, you can't eat. So if you want to eat, then work. But dad, I'm too. Clean the dishes. No, seriously, Hazel, we started chores at age two. She started learning how to empty the dishwasher, everything except the knives. <laughs> we taught her that. Guys, do you know how long it took her to learn that? Two weeks. That's it. Age two. And so our friends would come over, you see a two-year-old, what is this, a sweatshop or what? No, but everyone doing their share. So when it comes to a church culture, guys, I want to encourage you, participate. Pray for people. Like, yeah, maybe you don't want to do this, then do something else. Just engage. Even if it's not formally you're doing it, just do it. You know, I love praying for people. How many people have I prayed for here in this room? I love you guys. 
I just wanted you to raise your hand. So, <laughs> But I love praying for people. And I remember I just started praying for people. I wasn't on a ministry team or anything like that. And then about like six months into it, Jeff was like, hey, do you want to be on the ministry team? I'm like, so you want me to do what I'm already doing? He's like, yes, formally. I'm like, so do I have to do anything different? He's like, no. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. <laughs> right? So even if it's informally, part of building a healthy culture, guys, is being a part of the solution. Don't just wait. If you, see a, if you see a need in a family, fill that need. If you see a problem, don't just complain about, guys, losers complain. Honestly, lazy thinking is all about, this is more than just this place. I'm saying in your own life. It's easy to look at the lack and be like, yeah, that sucks. This on my job sucks. Well, like, no, you suck. Shut up. Like, it's easy to complain. Be a part of the solution though, guys. Because guess what? That's part of establishing a right culture. You see, the apostles, the, the, the people in the, in the early church, they saw problems, so they stepped in to fill it. They saw people with lack, and they're, they'd be like, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna pray for you, Lord, help them. Okay, forget about it. Uh, they actually, they're like, no, I'm actually gonna fulfill that. They were a part of the solution. You guys with me here? So one of the natural things that we do is we are all about ourselves naturally. We are full of self-promotion, self-seeking, and self-preservation. Those are three things that I learned years ago. And I want to confront those really quick, okay? But why we are so focused usually on what we can get out of something and establishing, living out that type of culture is because we have a limited thinking, we think that I need to, you know, I need to keep this. I need to acquire this and all this stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having things. I'll talk on that in a few minutes, okay? But the problem is, is when we're all about hoarding and keeping, that's not sowing and reaping. Kingdom culture is sowing and reaping. I am giving. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about giving of your time, your energy, your affection, giving of yourself, okay? Sowing and reaping versus hoarding and keeping, okay? One of the reasons why, say with giving, most people don't give is because most people feel like it's my money, it's my kingdom, and I earned it. And God's like, no, you're just a steward, and if you bury your talent any longer, I'm going to give it to someone else. If you don't want your talent, I'll have it, okay? Um, but guys, we have to get past a limited thinking. Did you guys know, and just in context of money, because churches really talk about money, that there's enough money out there right now for every single person on planet earth to have a net worth of $1 billion? I'll say that again, Okay. Every single person on planet earth can have a net worth of $1 billion. That's how much money's out there, okay? So the thing is, it's not a lack. It's a mindset thing. And if you think that there's lack in your life, regardless of what you're experiencing presently, you will think that God is in a position of lack. What would happen if you started giving of yourself and giving to a community in such a way of yourself, that there is no lack. That would change how you view God, which would change how you view yourself, which would change how you view your community, which would change what happens in your life. And everything would just start cycling because there is no lack, guys. 
Can I really wreck your theology for a second? Unashamedly? Are you guys with me? Half of you are like, So did you guys know that Jesus was not poor? No, he was poor. No, he wasn't actually. Jesus was extremely wealthy. How'd I know that? Okay, I'll give you a couple little examples, okay? Jesus had a seamless tunic. You guys know that? That's why they gambled for it when he was on the cross is because it wasn't just a cheap rag, okay? Just so you know, historically speaking, a seamless tunic in that time period was actually a new if you could call it technology, it was new, new to society. And it was so valuable, guys, because it was one of the first of its kind that it was actually comparable to a $5,000 Armani suit. He was a king, okay? In that day, it was very rare. And by another thing, Jesus, who, who held the money? Judas, he was the accountant, okay? Rich people have accountants, not poor people, okay? And also there was so much money in there that the Bible says that Judas took from the money freely all the time and no disciples actually even noticed it. You see, when you only have a couple dollars, when someone takes a couple dollars, you notice it, right? Anyways, so that whole mindset of, oh, Jesus is poor, so I have to be poor. No, okay? There is no lack in the kingdom. And again, this is more than just money, okay? Part of having a healthy culture is giving of ourselves to one another, okay? You guys okay? Go take up your complaints to Jeff. Actually, Wendy. (laughs) Anyways, so a culture should never dictate the accuracy or the relevancy of the Bible. The Bible should always dictate the culture. We often look, guys, church circles will look at the Bible and they will filter it through our culture, and what you have right now is movements of things being interpreted differently to fit our culture. Guys, whenever we do that, we get into serious problems. The Bible should dictate your culture. If the Bible says it, that is true. John Wimber, how many people have ever prayed for healing for someone? Okay, I guarantee it, I would put money on the line here that every single person in the room, the method that you pray for healing for someone actually came from John Wimber. John Wimber was, I would call the founder of the modern healing movement. So why, how you pray, why you pray, the things, the questions that you ask, all came from John Wimber. John Wimber was a guy, he went to church and they would talk about all this culture. They talked about like, yeah, this is what the Bible says. So after the service, he went up to the pastor and he said, hey, pastor, are we going to do it? And the pastor's like, do what? He's like, the stuff you talked about, are we going to do it? And the pastor's like, no, we just talk about it. And he's like, what? So he got mad and he went home. He's like, the Bible says that we can lay hands on the sick and why aren't we doing that? And so he started praying for people, guys. Do you know what happened? Nothing. Wow, that was anticlimactic. Let's move on, okay? No, no, he prayed for people, nothing. He kept praying, nothing. Guys, one year, nothing. Because God was sitting back. He's like, do you really want this, John? 
And then all of a sudden something broke and every person he started praying for got healed. Guys, I know of someone in Africa, they wanted to see the dead raised. They kept praying for, their, their calling specifically was dying babies in Africa, babies that are dying. And so they started holding these babies and they just kept praying over these babies and the, until the baby died. And then six, 10 hours after that, they finally gave up 12 hours Then they bur- buried the baby and they kept doing this over and over again for a long period of time. And then finally, something broke. And now they're seeing hundreds of babies raised from the dead. Impossible situations. We sang about this morning, guys. That's the culture that we live in. It's impossibilities. Things that seem completely impossible because how your life, how you look at your life, guys, is either you will think that you have a big God with a small problem here or you will have a big problem with a small God up there. I'll say that again because some of you need to hear this, okay? Either you will think of your problems as a big problem with a small God or your God will be a big God and your problem is small. There is no difference. Same thing with evangelism. When the fear of God is big, the fear of man is small. When the fear of man is big, the fear of God is small. Whatever you fear, you will serve. The reason why, guys, did you know that 60%, not 16, 60% of believers have not shared their faith with someone in the last six months? If you want to see that study, it's by the Barna Group. Amazing church uh, research group, okay? 60%. And the reason being is because 60, again, 60% of Christians do not believe the devil exists. According to the Barna Group. They, They research thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians all the time. The statement, the devil does not exist, 40% of believers agree wholeheartedly with that statement and 20% partially agree with that statement. How can you partially agree with that statement? I don't know, okay? But in the end, if you don't believe the devil's real, that means you don't believe that hell's real. And what's coming into the church nowadays? Hell's not real. So if hell's not real, why should I get anyone saved? Anyways, let's keep going. Culture. So you have to believe, guys, part of a heavenly culture is that there are no impossibilities, That means whatever you are facing in your life, if God is leading you to it, he will lead you through it. But Joel, this was my own mess. It doesn't matter. That's where repentance comes in. Guys, because if you made a mistake, you repent. And as long as you repent, it's under the blood. And even if it doesn't work out like you hope it's gonna work out, you you can trust and know that the Bible says that God will work it out. You cannot lose. So stop the limited thinking. Stop worrying about the impossibilities, guys, because it doesn't matter. Because in the end, only he matters. And half the time, guys, the reason why we struggle so much with our impossibilities is because we have placed a part of our identity attached to the issue. And God, what if God's actually allowing you to go through that because he's not trying to crush your pocketbook or he's not trying to crush your family or he's not trying to do all this stuff. But what if he's allowing you to go through that because he's trying to crush that pride in your life? 
You know what I'm saying? I've been there so many times. It's like God allows the fire to get cranked up a little bit so that some stuff can actually get brought to the surface. Did you know, you know, back, we sing songs like Refiner's Fire. How many people are Refiner's Fire people? Come on. Jesus, let's bring that back. Same with Days of Elijah, right? No, that was meant to be buried. <laughs> okay, but like smelters, guys, what they would do back in the, in the Old Testament, New Testament days, that type of era, thousands of years ago, is they would take gold and they would take silver, gold specifically. What they would do is they would throw the ore into the, like the smelter and they would turn up the heat. What would happen when they turned up the heat is a lot of the dross... That's the official word, I call it crap. But a lot of the dross would start coming up to the surface. So what they would do, they would actually take like a, a, a mechanical tool and they would actually skim off the top of the dross, okay? So they would get rid of the impurities, right? What they would do then, once they did that the first time, they would do it a second time, except they would turn up the heat a little bit more. I want you to think about your life for a second here, okay? God would turn up the heat a little bit more because all the junk is gone. So what that would do is there are certain impurities in a gold smelting process that can only be activated by certain heat and temperature or pressure. So they would turn up the heat and then more dross would come up. They would smooth that off. They would turn it up again a third time, guys. More heat, more dross would come up. This is, I'm, I'm quoting exactly what they would do here. So think about this for a second. They would do this seven times. And by the time that they were done, the smelter would know that it was done because all the impurities would, gone, would be gone and everything would be so clean. The smelter would look over the, the cauldron or the, the bowl and they would see a reflection of their face. What if what you're going through right now is actually God just turning up the heat a little bit and you're on step four? The initial stages are the, God, why me? God! And he's like, stop wiggling. <laughs> you know what? Sometimes you have to grab your like, little kid and be like, stop wiggling. Let me just love you. Ah, God, let go of me. And then finally we calm down, right? What if God's just allowing that to happen right now? But, God, but Joel, you don't understand my situation. You're right, I don't. But God does. And God just wants you to sit still. Let him turn up the heat. Let him deal with that stuff. Guys, because if you want to participate in a heavenly culture, you have to focus on yourself. And this may sound like it's contradicting what I just said, but you have to make sure that you're healthy as well in order so you can pour into other people. Because some of us have the opposite problem. We, we're so giving that we neglect ourselves, right? There's nothing wrong with you know, with being focused on other people, but you have to make sure that you're, that's not at the expense of you, okay? You guys have a couple more minutes? Yeah? Are you guys still with me? Is this good? Or You can leave if you want to leave. Go for it. <laughs> you know, sometimes, what's that? Yeah, sometimes at church, we're like, ah, I really want to go. The Oilers are playing or the Flames are playing. And Guys, so... <laughs> This thing about joy, I, I love being a part of a joyous community because usually the places in our lives, like, you know, it could be work, not our work, right, Leah? Our work's great. Uh, the, sometimes our work environment or like our, our social clubs, right? Sometimes they're just life-sucking. 
You know, like, or sometimes you have people, family in your life where it's just life sucking. Guys, I love to be a part of joyful people, joyful communities, because we need more joy in our lives. We prayed about this morning. And you know what's one of my favorite things is when Justin comes up in his baby Yoda shirt. I love that thing. No shoes. And he's like, guys, we got to get out into the sides. We got to get up here. And half of you are like, please, God, no. <laughs> I want to encourage you. Next time that happens, just come on up. Make a fool of yourself. You're already good at that doing that in other ways, right? Why not do it in front of Jesus? Right? But the secret, guys, to joy, I'll tell you this, okay? And this comes in the context of a proper community. The secret to joy, it's an acronym. I love acronyms, right? As cheesy as they are, they're even more powerful than how cheesy they are. Secret to joy is Jesus, others, yourself. Some, Some of you, and this is coming from someone who had chronic depression, severe depression for years, okay? So I know when I was depressed, I was so self focused. Me, 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 right? And how I started breaking that off is Jesus, others, yourself. Focus on Jesus first because he's answered all of your problems. But then beyond that, like you start being about other people because the more you focus on you, the more you will perpetuate those issues in your lives. Okay? And so if you want freedom, start helping other people. If you are depressed, find someone who's depressed and start encouraging them because what you sow, you will there you go, okay? Oh, I guess you are right, Joel. It's not just offerings. It's everything. What you sow, you will reap. Start being about other people and then yourself will fall. Amen? Can I invite the worship team up here? We're gonna do something. You know, the, the, in Acts, I love the book of Acts, especially the, the front part where the, where the Spirit's poured out. You guys know that? Acts 2, where the Holy Spirit's poured out. How many people want an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Guys, if you want it in your life, not just on Sundays, but in your life, be prepared for him to turn up the heat a little bit. And he's going to start calling out things, the dross in your life. Do you know why he does that? Because he loves you. We often think that because God is poking at us, we used to have a father figure or like someone in our life that would always poke out the negative stuff in our lives. Guys, that's not God. God looks at you. He's the most encouraging person you will ever meet in your life. He loves you. He is your biggest fan. Did you know that? He's your cheerleader. He's standing on the sidelines of your life. Be like, yeah, go Joel. And so your name, he's your cheerleader, right? I remember one time I, I would finish speaking and then I would, I would go off and I would ask people, hey, what do you think, right? Do you know why we do those types of things? Because we're insecure. We look for people's affirmation. You guys can start playing if you want. We look for affirmation for people. How many times do you do that? Where you do something, then you look for people's affirmation. Yeah, we, we all do in some way, right? And guys, we were wired for 
receiving praise. We enjoy that. You were made like that, okay? But when you start using that to be part of your identity, you start building it on a wrong foundation. And so you know what? I was like, why am I doing this? So I stopped asking people. I'm like, I don't care. I guess they'll stop asking me to speak if it's bad, right? But what I started doing is I started, as soon as I left, I would go to the Lord. I would say, God, how did I do today? And I remember one of the first times I asked him this. Start doing this for your own life. I was like, God, how did I do to stay on a scale of one to 10? Tell me. And he's like, you did an eight. And I'm like, eight? You're supposed to tell me 10. You're my cheerleader. You're for me. Like, why eight? He's like, he told me, he's like, I'll tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. You did this. This was awesome. This was great. That was great. This was great. But this you should have done differently. You see, he loves bringing corrections so that life can be built in your life. So I want to encourage you, as you guys go out this week, part of establishing a healthy culture is actually being open to him moving in your life. Because a culture starts with you. If we want to have the New Testament power, New Testament results, and New Testament anointing, we have to get ourselves in line. Don't be afraid of him turning up the heat. And if he is turning up the heat right now, welcome it. Don't complain about it, but say, God, what are you trying to teach me in this process? Maybe it's just that you need to be still and just let him iron out some of that stuff. I want to invite you to stand up. If you guys want to lead us in one more song. But Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, that we have the opportunity to be a part of a heavenly culture. And Lord, all of the blessings that come with that, all of the grace that comes with that. And Lord, I ask that it would become so real that it wouldn't just be a talking point that we have to ourselves. It wouldn't just be an informa- piece of information that we know in our minds, but it would be something that we live out. Just like Lindy and Danny are, are spearheading, that they want to live this out. Father, I ask that we would seek to live out the Bible in our lives. That we would experience the promises in your word. Lord, and for the times right now that we're going through or that we will come through in the future here, I ask that you would give us the grace to deal with the dross, to welcome your fire because we know that you love us and that you're purifying us so we can experience more life and more joy in our lives. So Lord, I commit... We commit today to you, this week to you. And Father, I ask that you would continue to move. Lord, we just want to engage one more time in worship, Lord. Our life is a life of worship, but take our praise right now. Take our voice. Lord, let it be a sweet-smelling aroma to you, I ask. In Jesus' name.